a Lifetime Original Podcast. An Equestrian Queen's Great Fall reads the December 2nd, 2012 LA Times headline. In the article, the equestrian queen in question is so ubiquitous among her peers that she's known only by her first name, Rita, like Madonna or Liberace. For eight years straight, Rita's horses won the world show in Oklahoma City. She was at the top of her game. And with all her success, she bought boats and jewelry. She threw lavish parties and wore rich furs. At her peak, she owned some 400 horses. And what's perhaps most amazing of all, Rita did it while she worked as a public servant, as treasurer of small town Dixon, Illinois. It really seemed like Rita was giving back to her community with one hand, while she snatched those horse show crowns with the other. She was riding high, on thoroughbred horses, no less. But her opulent lifestyle, her ranch, even her dowdy government job comes crashing down when the people of Dixon realize that she cared more about her horses than the people of her town. So much so that she was willing to steal their tax dollars to bring her horse girl fantasy to life. And she was clever enough to get away with it for two decades. I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Ipema. And this is Crime of a Lifetime. Our story starts in the 1970s. It is the town of Dixon, Illinois. And what can you say about a town like Dixon? I mean, notably, it's the hometown of Ronald Reagan, AKA, it's a conservative small town in the Midwest. There's only 16,000 residents, and it's the kind of place where you know your neighbor and where you can find just large swaths of land to make your own private oasis, namely, a horse farm. So Rita Humphrey came of age in Dixon, and she's this outgoing young woman, head of her high school's business occupations club, and she's a member of the 4-H club, which I guess is like a skill development club. Uh, Their motto is making the best better. So I guess one of the skills they did not develop was motto writing. But it is fitting that Rita's part of this club because she has no brags, kind of the best. She's on the homecoming court. She's one of 19 kids in her graduating class to make the National Honor Society. She's just slaying high school. Rita, early on in her life, she finds that her interests are peaked in two different hobbies, local government and her neighbors. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) It's horses. She's a local government gal and... A horse girl. That's right. You guys know what we're talking about. We all grew up with them. Horse girls. She loves horses. She and her mom ride in the local fairs. Rita rides so well, though, that she's actually winning awards for it in competitions. But riding horses is an expensive hobby, and it ain't cheap. It costs something like $300 a month to take care of just one horse. And listen, if you're a horse girl, you need more than one horse. Am I right? Rita wants a whole team of horses, and she needs a job that's going to support this lifestyle. And, well, lucky for Rita, she's about to hit the jackpot. 
because as soon as she graduates in 1971, the city of Dixon hires her as a city clerk, and this sort of sets her up for the rest of her life. But she also marries Jerry Crunwell, and 12 years later, they do divorce, but she keeps his name, so we know her as Rita Crunwell. I think she loved her horses more than she loves Jerry. You know, for starters, he cannot pull off that Western saddle. But without him, you know what? She's going to be fine. She's athletic. She's pretty. She's got a steady government job and this very impressive trophy case full of horse riding medals. She spends about a decade as a city clerk. And in doing so, she helps manage Dixon's finances. And she builds a strong reputation for this in City Hall. And in 1983, Rita is appointed comptroller and treasurer of Dixon by the city council. Both of those guys. You might be asking yourself, what the hell is a comptroller? And honestly, same. Wait, wait, wait. If she does that job remotely, does that make her a remote comptroller? That's exactly what that makes her, Quinn. So in her job as a comptroller, she's in charge of all of the city's finances. She's top dog, or in this case, top horse. And I think it's worth noting that this position Rita's getting, it's pretty new. The comptroller job is only 12 years old. It was created because Dixon officials struggled to balance their finances, and they decided they needed one person with a lot of knowledge to take full responsibility, and full control of the city's budget. Her new job also pays really well. If I told you she made $26,000 a year, that sounds pretty low, right? But adjusted for inflation, today it's about $76,000 a year, which ain't bad. No, that's great. But I got to be honest, that job does sound like a real snooze fest. She's got this office in City Hall. It's small, unassuming. It's in this red brick building in the middle of Dixon and tax collection. Like, I almost just put myself to sleep telling you that. But, you know, good for her, whatever. She's getting a lot of praise, that's for sure. The papers are writing about her. Which is wild. A paper is writing about their local comptroller. One headline in 1985 reads... Dixon Commission runs smoothly with help of Comptroller. And the article below it describes Rita as this like high caliber and essential member of the government. Frankly, a title I will never hold. The Public Works Commissioner is quoted as saying, having someone of the caliber of Rita Cronwell, it helps us all. I think it's essential because this is big business when you're attempting to run a city and the integrity of the entire city is at stake. Well, plus, I just think nobody wanted that boring numbers job. But Rita knows where all the money is, where it needs to go, what the city can afford to do and not do. So if a street needs repaving, if a pipe bursts, if the city wants to build, I don't know, like a hockey stadium, that's all going to go through Rita. It's December of 1990, and Rita goes to the bank and she opens a new city account under the name... Reserve Sewer Capital Development Account. Again, I almost fell asleep while saying that, but no one bats an eye at this. Yeah, sewer account. Gross. Well, who would want to look into an account like that? It passes the sniff test. It seems to me that a woman who's working as a government-appointed treasurer, who is managing the entire budget of a city, probably has more than enough money to live a comfortable life. I mean, maybe even support a horse hobby or a hobby horse or... Right, but Rita wants more. 
She wants more, more hobby horses, more medals, more stuff. And that begins in 1991 when Rita buys a pontoon boat and some diamond earrings. And she's filing away these invoices and city records to explain her spending, but they aren't even on the right letterhead, and they have typos, and there's no evidence that they are for city maintenance. She's she's really phoning in her cover-up. But the thing is, nobody's really looking. And from there, the purchases just keep getting more crazy, more extravagant. It's like she did something and was like, am I going to get caught? And when no one did, it just got worse. Over the next decade, Rita buys jewel-encrusted rings, diamond necklaces, fur coats, and a Rolex. She then buys a custom-made saddle and a Corvette. By the way, those two are sold separately. She buys trucks and trailers, an 88-acre ranch, dozens of horses. And listen, I don't have any of these things, but I gotta say, they all sound really expensive. Definitely. And if you've ever seen the Kentucky Derby, you know that horse names can be pretty absurd. They, they have fun, the people naming these horses. Rita's, it's no exception. But you're going to see a theme, I think. Let me tell you some of the names of her horses. Packin' Jewels. Pizzazzy Lady. Good I Am. Good I Will Be. Potential Fortune. Have Faith in Money. <laughs> Some for me, I found a penny, and she scores. Carrie, I got to ask you at this point, uh, if you go and you get yourself a horse, what are you naming it? But before you take mine, mine's Colt Following. Okay, for me, my horse name would be, I can't afford this. (laughs) That's my horse name. And for Rita, I feel like the one name she's missing in this lineup is... This horse was bought with stolen money, but but maybe that's too long. So Rita starts horse breeding, and she hires the best trainers and personally competes in the biggest horse shows in the U.S. At horse pageants, she'd walk onto the field in this signature white cowboy hat and tailored white jacket with her reins. She'd guide up her top-tier horses, and they'd do their routine. I mean, it's, it's pretty exciting stuff. I don't know if you've ever seen this kind of thing before, Carrie. It's, you've got walk forward. Ooh. Then, wait for this, then you do walk backward. <gasps> no beeps. Buckle your seatbelt, because up next... Click. Walk side to side. No. That's right. And the judges are watching this really closely, I guess just for how like smooth the horse moves and behaves. Um, it seems really simple, so I'm kind of joking around about that, but it actually, it does take a lot of training to get a horse under the kind of control that Rita asserted. Quinn, have you seen these competitions? They're crazy. I've never seen one. So Rita's horses are the cream of the clip-clop, And at the height of Rita's horse empire, her horses have 52 world championship wins. Rita's got eight straight leading owner titles from the American Quarter Horse Association, and she has over 700 equestrian-related trophies. There is a whole room in her house that is dedicated to the awards and trophies and medals that she's won. And she says in the documentary, All the Queen's Horses, that her horse empire means the world to her. She scores. Makes me cry because she's one of my favorite mares. And um, 
play execute. So, can you can you tell me a little bit why she scores is so special to you? Um, she's just a great mare, and I, she won seven world champions, and she just has a special place in my heart. <laughs> By 2011, Rita owns, I don't know, something nuts, like uh, 400 horses, let's say, which if it takes $300 a month to take care of one horse, I'm no math whiz, but she's got to be paying at least a million and a half dollars a year for that empire, probably even more. And in the horse pageant circuit, she's a legend. She has these birthday party bashes, and they are the subject of horse tabloid articles. And listen, I don't know of any names of horse tabloids, but if I had to name one, it would be the naysayer. All this money Rita's throwing around, believe it or not, it raises zero eyebrows at City Hall. Rita's going into work at her little government job like everybody else. She's making her money doing it. And I should note by this point, her salary is now $80,000 or six figures adjusted for inflation. But that's not enough to explain all the luxuries we just told you she's buying. And most people in City Hall just assume that she's independently wealthy. I mean, she's got a wildly successful horse empire. She's winning prizes left and right. And do you know how much horse semen sells for? I mean, I do try to watch the market, but I'm not sure I'm up to date. Okay, well, let me tell you. We chose the wrong profession because the thoroughbred stuff is like $12,000 a pop. So Rita's making a pretty penny just by pimping out her best horses. Wow. Now that will make you financially stable. (laughs) (laughs) So... When she's asked about her fortune, she tells some people that she was an early investor in Campbell's Soup. She tells the auditors that she has a backer. Others spread rumors that her family owns every cell tower in Illinois. So there's a lot of speculation as to where this money is coming from. But what's important is nobody seems to question her fortune because the people of Dixon just trust her. Rita has been working in City Hall since high school. That's about 40 years at this point. And she's worked her way from intern to clerk to treasurer. She's tall, she's attractive, she's smart, and she's hardworking. So there are no questions about why she's rich and successful and affording all of these luxuries. But in the early 2000s, about 20 years after she started as comptroller and treasurer, large budget gaps start showing up in the city coffers. And city officials start coming in to Rita to solve the mystery. Hey, Rita, uh, where's all this money? And Rita tells them there are budget overruns and that the city has got to start making some hard choices. And part of the confusion is due to Dixon's form of government. City departments are being managed by elected city councilors, many of whom work just part-time. And as an elected official, you might lack the financial wherewithal to manage such large budgets. So the city has Rita to make sure it's all consistent, no matter who gets elected. Things become especially bad when in 2008 the market crashes and the city of Dixon is starving now for revenue. Now Rita's job is to tell department heads to cut their budgets. So she sends emails to them 
get this, with images of scissors cutting dollars, scared cats, and in one case, she writes an email that has a photo of a drowning man. And honestly, like, I don't know if city council has an HR department, but that seems weirdly threatening for a city council budget, right? Like a man drowning. Somebody needs to teach Rita how to use memes. This is inappropriate. (laughs) That's bizarre. But the serious thing that's happening is that essential services in this city, like police and fire department budgets, are being cut. Ambulances aren't able to be properly outfitted. And the local cemetery can't afford to be mowed. Streets go unpaved, old equipment's not being replaced, the public pool's closed, and, perhaps worst of all, in my opinion, even the beloved municipal wind instrument band is on the chopping block. And I just, yeah, I know. I imagine the townsfolk being like, please, you can take our streets, you can take our ambulances, but please leave us our oboes. (laughs) The real important things. Everyone does their part to get through the recession. Well, almost everyone, because as it turns out, the recession isn't the only thing affecting the city's funds. Dixon, Illinois... They've got a horse girl problem. For the last two decades, a mousy, sort of soft-spoken woman named Kathy Swanson has worked under Rita as the deputy director in the comptroller's office. Rita taught Kathy a thing or two about how they operate in City Hall. Even a city as tiny as Dixon has a lot to budget. There's the fire department, the police, the schools, the sewer system, the woodwinds. And keeping track of all of that money in and out can be really overwhelming. Yeah, but Rita has this trick. It's just to keep things really simple. So what you do is rather than asking the bank for this big bloated statement of all the city's transactions for any given month, Rita just instructs Kathy to take the transactions one by one. You call the bank, ask for one specific transaction at a time. And so for the last 20 years... That's what Kathy's done. And for all this time, you know, it's worked. So, Rita, pretty tired, deserves a little vacation. She decides to take 12 weeks of unpaid vacation in September and October of 2011. Must be nice, Rita. And it seems fair to assume that Kathy would be able to cover for Rita just fine. But Kathy is pretty overwhelmed. She's not taking the job very well. She's struggling with tracking all of these transactions one by one and calls the bank to ask for help. Yeah, and to just simplify things, Kathy decides that rather than calling the bank for each individual transaction like Rita had taught her, she's just going to, you know what, she's going to go ahead and ask for the whole September statement. And it's a huge document, but it's going to make things a little easier for her since she's covering for two people. And as she's pouring over this massive bank statement, she notices something really odd. She sees an account listed as the Reserve Sewer Capital Development Account. It's taking hundreds of thousands of dollars in withdrawals, none of which is connected to city projects. 
Kathy describes the moment she discovers Rita's secret account in a speech at the 29th annual ACFE Global Fraud Conference. So I did what any scared person would do. I folded it and took it down to my car and hid it in my car for three days. After three days passed, the mayor, Jim Burke, who happens to be a good friend of Kathy's, walks into her office to chat with her, not knowing that Kathy has a bomb she needs to drop on him. And she says, I have something to tell you. She said, this is, does not, this is not a city uh, account, even though it said city of Dixon, RSCDA. Kathy tells him that she thinks Rita might be shielding her horse winnings in Dixon bank accounts. And she has a bank statement to prove it, but she's not sure what to do with it. Now, Mayor Burke immediately leaves the office with a statement and he calls the FBI. He tells them, I think there's a cancer in City Hall. When he returns to Kathy's office, Burke tells her, don't tell anyone, don't say a word to anyone about this. If anyone hears of this, they could be sued. They would have to be absolutely sure of what is going on before they say anything to anyone. In November, Rita's back from that long, sweet vacation. Once again, she's in control of the city coffers, and Kathy is back under her thumb, or so she thinks. She's actually keeping a pretty close eye on Rita. Just a few weeks after the discovery of that secret bank account, Mayor Burke had a secret meeting with the FBI, which he describes in detail to the Sock Valley News. And then I, I laid the bank statement down in front of him. And, um, and we started discussing it. At that point, I literally got sick to my stomach. Over the next several months, Kathy acts as an informant for the FBI. And frankly, if I was Kathy, I couldn't do it. I can't deal with that much level of lies and deceit. But Kathy has to act like nothing strange is going on. She asks Rita about her weekends, about her dogs, you know, just regular water cooler stuff. And at the same time, she's coming into work early and staying late to make copies of reports without Rita noticing. She even watches Rita write checks to herself, and she has to keep everything in. She can't say a thing. She can't talk to anyone about this but Mayor Burke and the FBI. In the 2017 documentary, All the Queen's Horses, Kathy says she even has to keep her boyfriend out of the loop. My boyfriend, Tom, would say to me quite frequently, are you sure you're okay? Is there anything wrong with your kids? You don't seem like yourself. And I would just say, oh, I have a lot of work to do. There's, there's a lot, lot going on at work. I, I need to get a lot of things done. Over the next six months, Kathy and Mayor Burke watch Rita funnel $3 million into her own pocket but they don't know the extent of her grift yet. So by April of 2012, Kathy is growing pretty stressed out at this point. The investigation is making her lose some sleep, and she's wondering how much longer is she going to have to keep up this ruse every day watching Rita steal from the city and do nothing and say nothing. She's just watching more and more woodwinds meet their untimely end. That would really drive me crazy, too. I also just can't imagine that when she applied for this boring government tax job that she ever thought she'd have to be an undercover FBI informant. It's not chill. 
And keep in mind, Kathy and Rita have worked together for years, for years. And I'm sure Kathy probably liked Rita. So not only is she sort of having to snitch on her, but also she's sort of dealing with the loss of her friend and having to sort of reckon with that. So Kathy goes to tell Mayor Burke, listen, I don't think I can do this any longer and that she needs to talk to a counselor to get it off of her mind. But Burke reassures her that it will all be over soon. And I guess there's just no HR for her to talk to. I mean, she's isolated. She can't talk to HR about this. She can't talk to anybody. (laughs) Totally. But, you know, to Burke's credit, you know, he's a man of his word. And on April 17th, 2012, three agents dressed in suits walk into that Dixon City Hall to meet with the mayor. Everyone's seeing these guys walk in. They just look like developers coming to talk about a housing project or business venture for the city. They sit in Mayor Burke's office, waiting for 9.15 when Rita is supposed to meet with Burke about a Ronald Reagan CD. Yes, you heard that correctly. A Ronald Reagan CD. I'm assuming it's a compilation of zingers and anecdotes, but what is this lie? Or did a Reagan compact disc exist? I don't know. I have so many questions. But remember, Dixon is Reagan's hometown, so I guess they could hawk a CD for lots of money for the city. And at 9.15, Burke calls over the intercom for Rita to come into his office. And she responds with a peppy, yes, sir as she always does. Now Burke is just clocking her, watching closely as she walks into the room in her smart pink button down and her thick black rectangular glasses. He tells her that three people in his office are FBI agents and they just have a few questions for her. And he notes that her expression stays completely calm, totally collected, doesn't miss a beat, She should play poker. She says to them that she is happy to answer any questions that they have. They interrogate her for two hours. Then they handcuff her and discreetly lead her out of the side door so nobody sees. Fifteen agents proceed to take over City Hall, sealing the building and searching for all the evidence. All the City Hall employees are super confused. They're wandering out of their office going, what's going on? And then finally, Kathy's like, oh, I think I can say. I'll tell you guys (laughs) what's going on. I'll tell you what's been going on the last six months. And you got to imagine that, talk about water cooler gossip. Nothing has ever been so juicy as what Kathy lays on them. Everybody is shocked. Spit takes abound. Now, once everyone knows the office gossip, one colleague turns to Kathy and says, Well, I guess you're not going to get a Christmas card from Rita this year, are you? Which I just love a small town vibe. I love a small town vibe because you know that's when you're in it, when you, don't, when you get off of a Christmas card mailing list. <laughs> that's when you've stepped in it. The news hits Dixon the next day. The Chicago Tribune headline reads, Hall of Infamy Corruption? The feds say a Dixon official embezzled $30 million. The residents of Dixon, Illinois, are livid. They've been bamboozled, hoodwinked, got. Millions of dollars that should have gone to the city and the woodwind instruments were cut so that Rita could live her opulent horse girl fantasy. 
Rita is officially removed from her position by the city council, but the Dixonites, oh, they want blood. Signs that read Boot Burke crop up in yards all over town. His political fortunes are tanked, even though it seems like he really did do the right thing. He even notes in an AP report on the scandal how many people missed the massive theft. You know, in that length of time, we had five city councils, three different finance and accounts commissioners, three different mayors, and 22 audits over that period of time. Trust among the citizens and even among city employees is shattered. Investigations and oversight are increased in all departments. Even the mayor submits to an investigation. And 59-year-old Rita is charged in federal court with one count of wire fraud and 60 counts of felony theft, one for every transfer she made to her personal account. In her initial interrogation, she estimated that she probably stole about $10 million from Dixon during her time as a comptroller. But when the FBI searched her home, they then find documents revealing that it was a whole lot more than $10 million. All in all, Rita Crundwell stole $53 million from the city of Dixon. If you were to do the math, and you're welcome because we did, that's the equivalent of stealing $3,300 from every resident in town. To recoup the money, the U.S. Marshals seize her horse ranch, and according to the 2017 documentary All the Queen's Horses, they have to spend $200,000 a month taking care of those horses until they can sell them off. I've never started a horse sale with one as good as this one. 750, $775,000. $750, $775, Rita's prize-winning horse, Good I Will Be, sells for $775,000. And get a load of this. His semen sells... For 12500 So the city of Dixon sells all of her assets for an astounding $11 million. And ultimately, they recoup about $40 million in total. In November of 2012, Rita is sentenced to 19 years and 7 months in prison. During sentencing, Judge Philip Reinhardt said that Rita showed greater passion for the welfare of her horses than the people of Dixon, who she represented. Which, you know, that does seem to be a pretty fair assessment of the situation. Mayor Jim Burke would, unsurprisingly, retire from politics after this scandal. Not that he had a chance of winning at his re-election anyhow, but Kathy Swanson, she would continue to work for the city until 2016, when she retires as a hero of the city, even if no one really knew who she was. For Rita's part, she served nine years in prison before her health starts to deteriorate. She has kidney problems, a bad hip. You know, she's getting up there. She's close to 70 at this point. So she applies for compassionate release, and she cites her health, the COVID pandemic, as well as her record as being a model inmate who is trusted with great responsibility within the compound. Wow. Hope she wasn't in charge of any money. <laughs> I hope those guards are watching their wallets. Ten years before her sentence is up in April of 2021, 68-year-old Rita Crundwell is released from prison. But she's not a totally free woman at this point. According to the Department of Corrections, Rita is under home confinement in an undisclosed location, still fulfilling her sentence. 
Some of the residents of Dixon are worried that she's going to return to town, but even if that's the case, they don't have to worry about running into her at the local Walmart. Well, not without a police escort and a cute little teeny tiny ankle monitor. Yeehaw, what a story, you know? I uh, yeah, I personally don't really think of horse girls as hardened criminals, uh, unless, of course, you count Bonnie and Clydesdale. Quinn. But Quinn. no, come on. You had to let me have that last I did, one. I did. But really, I, I just can't imagine that the town, they must have been completely taken by surprise. This woman was not at all what she seemed. She flew completely under the radar for just an impressive amount of time. And $53 million? That's got to be like one of the biggest heists I've ever heard of. And you've got this quiet lady with her rectangle glasses in a boring office job behind all of it. She's got, you know, her framed picture of her horse on the desk, her Lisa Frank binder, and she's doing it under everybody's noses. Honestly, I agree with you on every point except for one thing. Mm. I only think of horse girls as hardened criminals. So that's where we disagree. Oh. That's actually where we disagree. <laughs> no, But it is. It's so wild that she got away with it for that long without detection. And and I think it reminds me of our conversation with Emma Friedel, right? It's like this idea of benevolent sexism. I think because she was so unassuming, nobody looked. Nobody thought anything was wrong. They just assumed she was a sweet woman who was taking care of the books for this town, when in fact she was stealing $53 million. And frankly, she's doing this over 20 years, and she has such control of the books, so she's not getting caught. And then she decides to take a 12-week vacation. Let that be a lesson to all you criminals out there. If you're a criminal who functions on having total control of your documents, hot tip, don't give up said control. I mean, I really genuinely think she could still be stealing now and no one would have known. Like, I think if she didn't take that vacation, if Kathy oh, never got sure. her hand on it, she could have continued to steal money, no right. problem. And, you know, who knows what she's doing right now. But I got to tell you, I feel like in prison, she was probably whittling soap to look like a horse to keep her company. That I do feel pretty confident. Catch more gripping stories pulled straight from the headlines with all new original series and movies on Lifetime and stream on the Lifetime app or on demand. Check out mylifetime.com to find out what's airing because it might just be the case we talk about next. Crime of a Lifetime is produced by Tanner Robbins and Julie Magruder. Our associate producers are Hazel May and us, Carrie Ipema and Quinlan Posner. Our sound designer and editor is Arlen Ginsberg. Our researcher is Emma Fredericks. McKamey Lynn is our supervising producer, and Jesse Katz is our executive producer. If you like what you hear on the show, please subscribe, rate, and review Crime of a Lifetime on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.